Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Matt Harvey, quote, I'm a starting pitcher. I've always been a starting pitcher. What do you make of those comments? He has been a starting pitcher, and he's always been a starting pitcher, and almost to a fault, they let him be a starting pitcher, even when he was struggling terribly last year, even when he didn't have his best stuff. And we keep hearing, I don't have my best stuff. I don't have a feel. I don't have my mechanics. I don't, there's so many little excuses, and it's, it's at that point that it's kind of running ragged. I, I can't really listen to the interviews anymore and finding positives out of very small, minute things. If I heard that of Chris Flexen, that my last two innings were pretty good, and that's a huge step... Yes, welcome to the big leagues, kid. This is not where Matt Harvey should be thinking and focusing. He also said today was a big breakthrough for him. You're not buying that? No. Uh, breakthrough of giving up six runs and, you know, your team is down. Yes, you eight innings and you save the bullpen from having to use maybe two extra guys. That's good, but that's good for guys who don't belong in the big leagues. That's what happens. You're a guy who isn't getting the job done, and this is consecutive. What was it? Uh, now he finally broke that streak of 11 straight games of only five innings. Yes, he got to the sixth inning, but that was out of necessity, not out of the fact that he had earned that opportunity. Well, he said, and again, quoting him, this was a huge positive for him that he figured some things out from the fourth and the fifth and the sixth innings after that that tough start did you see stuff in those three innings that he's talking about right there that would lead you to believe that okay if he does get another chance he's on the right track he's got five days to maintain that feeling and come back and maybe get another start to show that he truly did feel that so if he does get another start then we have to see him within the first three innings if he has truly figured it out we've heard it so many times i had a great bullpen i'm so close i'm almost there it's not happening as of yet for him to find silver linings in that and find little things to pull out of, uh, right now, I don't buy it. All right, so if the manager is not committing at the moment to Matt making his next start next time through the rotation, 
and Matt Harvey doesn't seem very amenable to moving to the bullpen if that's what they ask him to do. What happens here? He doesn't make the decisions. He doesn't get paid to make the decisions. Mickey Calloway does. The front office will sit down, and they'll do what's in the best interest of this team. It's not what's in the best interest of Matt Harvey anymore because this team is, has is aspirations of making it to the postseason again. This team has aspirations of going deep into the postseason. They started off with a bang, and they want to continue on that good streak. But you have to have uh, guys that can give you plus innings, guys that can give you very good major league innings and get guys out that you don't have to worry about and baby all the way through every time fifth day through the rotation and let me tell you about mickey calloway biggest decision of his career as a manager as a coach because where he was before didn't get the scrutiny that he will receive on how he plays this i don't know what he's going to do tell you this i i like what i've seen so far i really do i really do but he this one is going to define him if it works, he's brilliant. If it doesn't, he's awful. It's, that's, he knows that. That's the way. That's the way this game is. What would I do? I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd throw him in a bullpen. I'm gonna need him again. I'm gonna need him again, or somebody else. But I can't put up with this awfulness. It's awful now. We're going year two, three, if you want to get crazy, of awful, of what he's gonna do. It's over. The free ride is over. Nine wins into this thing, he's the dark knight, the greatest thing coming down the highway. A fable. Nothing more than a fable. Look at the reality. Look at what he is and make your decision. Understand what else you have. Make your decision. But don't waffle. Make your decision, live with it, and go forward. It's another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, April the 22nd, 2018. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet. You can check me out, Mike Silva, at MikeSilvaMedia. And uh, you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. You can also get us on the iHeart Radio Network with the grueling truth. Thanks to those guys over there. As well, hope everybody's uh, enjoying their Sunday. Mets rained out today, and uh, hope you enjoyed the, the little lengthy four-minute clip, uh, courtesy of SNY, as well as uh, Bobby Ojeda's podcast. That was actually Bobby Ojeda, if you didn't know. Uh, Bobby Ojeda has a podcast called Bobby O's Change of Pace. Uh, eight episodes in, and uh, you should subscribe to that on iTunes. Check out Bobby O's Change of Pace, and he had a uh, that was just a snippet of a rather long. Uh, monologue about Matt Harvey and his thoughts on Matt Harvey. And, and I could not agree more with both Nelson Figueroa and, and Bobby Ojeda. And here's what's interesting. I'm about to tell you, and there's two things I want to talk about before we get to our guest. Our guest is going to be, uh, let me, I should get to that first. Our guest is going to be Matt Cerrone of Mets blog. It's been a long time since I've spoken to Matt. Matt uh, last year came out with a book and, 
we were supposed to get him on and, and I mean, he and I just got busy and, and it was one of those things that fell through the cracks and what well, turned out to be an awful summer of Mets baseball, but uh, I digress. Uh, the New York Mets fans bucket list that came out, interesting read forward by David Wright. And uh, I think you should take a look at it, especially if you're a hardcore Mets fan, a lot of interesting fan experiences Matt talks about. We'll, we'll chat about that book. We'll chat about the current Mets team when Matt comes on in just a couple of minutes. But I'm going to take this monologue into two parts here. Part number one is where I see this, this team after a pretty bad week. Uh, some of the two really heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching losses. Uh, you know, and there's going to be – I'm very curious how they respond as they go to St. Louis, as they go to San Diego, and what is their first tough road trip of the year that is already underway, uh, that has been underway down in Atlanta. And then there's the Matt Harvey part. But we might as well start with the Matt Harvey part because the team part is, I guess, part and parcel together on this. I have not been for a long while really stressing out about Matt Harvey being the Dark Knight or being Matt Harvey again. I was hopeful that he would be the anomaly when he was it was announced a couple of years ago that he had uh, thoracic outlet syndrome and he was going to have the TOS surgery and you know you hope that he'll be the anomaly. But as I looked at the list of pitchers at the points in their career that had the surgery, Chris Carpenter, the Cardinals, Josh Beckett, uh, Jaime Garcia, who was actually a serviceable pitcher, Chris Young, a former Met, uh, you know, pitched against them in the World Series. You know, this this is not a list of pitchers that have had a ton of success, and those that have, you know, Chris Young, let's. Let's um, let's talk about him. You know, he was very much back of the rotation, league average, not somebody you'd be relying on, or not somebody that had the cachet. Although he was a very talented pitcher before he had numerous arm injuries of a Matt Harvey. So none of those names, you know, Phil Hughes, who has had it, resonates where oh, there's the guy. This is not Tommy John surgery. You know, Tommy John surgery is serious, and you could have setbacks. Look at Zach Wheeler for an example. But this day and age, repairing a ligament in the elbow, out of all the injuries that could happen to a pitcher, to me that's that's the one you want to have because that's the one you're probably going to be able to come back and maybe be as good, if not better, than before. The shoulder, big problem. Uh, thoracic outlet, less common, big problem. And uh, essentially those two are what ends careers. And uh, you know, Harvey even had the scapular issue. Now, to me, anybody who was spending time here thinking that Matt Harvey was the key to this team, you know, they weren't paying attention. I said in spring training, this is a competition. There were six or seven pitchers for five spots, and the best five should go to north of the team. Matt Harvey, believe it or not, was better than Zach Wheeler, and he deserved the benefit of the doubt because new regime here in the dugout. Let's see what Matt Harvey has. And the results have not been that good. Now, it's interesting when you look at his peripherals, his walks, his strikeouts. The strikeouts are down again from 2015. But they're not that far off from 2015. And he's not better than he was last year, but he can't be that much worse. He was so bad last year. An ERA nearly at seven. And, you know, the fact that we're sitting here and even discussing this is hot take radio because what the Mets have in front of them 
is much less about Matt Harvey. But this is an important decision that Mickey Calloway has made. And the way the message was crafted as, hey, either you're going to be part of this team or you're not, but this isn't about you, was exactly the message that has been missing here for a couple of years. And in a week where I've had some people comment to me on Twitter, oh, look at the Mets bullpen. They're walking almost five batters per game. And look, some of these guys are not you know, better under Callaway and Island. And look at Callaway's questionable in-game decision-making, whether it be you know, not pinch hitting for Lobatone or you know, whatever the question has been, walking a week ago, you know, allowing Jay Bruce to be intentionally walked so the pitcher comes up. You know, There's always going to be that. What there needed to be here was an accountability and a demanding of excellence for a team that's in the midst of a window that may close on them sooner than they think. And they have an opportunity to do something here, make the playoffs, get in the tournament, and perhaps win something here. Because I think there's enough here for them to compete and win and be there with just about anybody, especially in a short series. So this isn't about Matt Harvey. This is about the team and sending the message to the team that if you play well and you perform, you earn your spot. And if you don't, you will not be part of this team. And that's a, that's a message that's been missing for a long time. I don't know if it's a message that was ever there under Terry Collins, even in 2015, when they went to the World Series. So to me, the positive out of this is that you get to see accountability and discipline and really Dave Island being as blunt as possible when he talked about Harvey. Like, you know, if you want to succeed, we've had a track record of putting guys in the bullpen and getting more out of them. So we'll see what, how Matt Harvey performs on this. We'll see what he does with this. Is he going to sit out there? Is he going to, you know, and I would ease him into some lower leverage situations, throw a couple of scoreless innings in demand or, or sulk when he's not back in the rotation. You know, who knows? But to me, he has an opportunity now to get himself out of the spotlight every five days. A team that can't afford to – you can't throw away games every five days. And, and by starting Matt Harvey right now, you're throwing games away every five days. I said this a couple of weeks ago when I was on WLIE. I don't know if you can trust him against solid lineups in decent weather condition, which is essentially what he was in in Atlanta on Thursday. You know, the Braves are plucky. They're, you know, the Phillies and Braves have shown a little bit early here in this season. They're going to be plucky. They're, I don't think they're going to be uh, particularly contending teams. I don't think they're going to be what I would say good teams, but I think they're going to be teams that are going to annoy you, and they're not rollover teams that you're going to play slow-pitch softball against. You're going to have to bring your A game, and you know, Matt Harvey didn't. So to me, Matt Harvey's not relevant. You know, what happens here? Listen, if he works it out in the bullpen, personally I've seen, and, and it sounds like, especially with the fact that they're in Vegas and, and Vegas is just going to cloud those, those results. Can't wait for them to get to Syracuse in the International League next year. You've seen guys like Steve Traxel and Bobby Jones go down to the minors and come back and be good. So the minors wouldn't have been the worst thing for him, get away from all this and just pitch, not worry about really results, because in the minors it's about you. Who cares if the Las Vegas 51s win? But that doesn't sound like that's an option. And, and maybe in the Pacific Coast League, that's not a good idea. You've seen guys like Rich Hill, who's a big part of the Dodgers rotation last year and going into this year. Go to the minor league. Go to the independent league. Both Scott Casimir and Rich Hill, whose careers were pretty much eh, 
They went to the Independent League and pitched for the Long Island Ducks. It doesn't get much more local and off the radar than that. The only reason it's even on the radar is because it's here in New York. It's Long Island. And you got Buddy Harrelson and Edgardo Alfonso and some former Mets who have played there. And, and I think it gets on the radar because New York writers are going to once in a while take notice of the Atlantic League. If not, in another town, nobody's paying attention to you. Nobody's paying attention to, to, to you. So for Matt Harvey to go to the bullpen, that's probably not the lowest of the low. There's lower than that. The interesting part about all this, I don't think Mets fans are rooting for him. I've always said from a while back, and I'll go back to 2013 when he was having success and he did that body issue for ESPN when he was naked on the cover. Matt Harvey is a page six guy who wants to be a page six guy. Who knows if he'll be anymore now that he's not relevant in terms of his athletic career. I'm sure because he's an athlete, he'll still do okay. Mets fans want page six athlete numbers and performance, but they don't want that athlete to be on page six. They like the grinder. You know, they're more likely to embrace a guy like Todd Frazier, who's good, flawed, good, but a grinder, before they embrace an Alex Rodriguez or a Matt Harvey at his peak. So I don't know if Mets fans really ever felt Harvey was about them. Harvey was always about Harvey. We knew that. That was obvious. And I think Mets fans felt that he was using the team and the brand and the fans as a way to build the Matt Harvey brand to go to a more page six organization like the Yankees. That was the plan, right? Succeed with the Mets, use the Mets as a jump board, get a big contract, go to the Yankees, and and be the pitching version of of Derek Jeter. Well, that ain't going to happen now unless things change drastically. Because if things don't change, Matt Harvey's going to struggle to find a job next year. He'll find a job. Somebody will bring him to camp, but he's a minor league deal guy. Forget about millions of dollars. Talk about league minimum. And that's probably right now best for him is getting out of here. It's probably for him personally. He needs to go where he was at the dark night, where they just say, hey, whatever you are, you are. And I think the Mets have handled this where they not – Mickey Callaway has never pretended that he was developing him back into the quote-unquote dark night. He wanted, as he quoted from the day he came here, what's the best version that Matt Harvey can be? Right now, it ain't very much in the rotation. Probably the best-case scenario now is you get something out of the bullpen. Because the way it is with the modern game, with the way this team starting pitching has shown an inability to go more than five or six innings outside of DeGrom, you know, you're going to need more bullpen arms. There's going to be a shuttle. There's going to be guys that are going to be needed. And if Matt Harvey could go out there and, and bridge the gap and be a sixth, seventh inning guy and throw bullets for an inning, could he, his velocity go up? Could he, could he get into it? You know, then, then he's valuable for the team may not be the best move for him from a brand. Certainly relievers can make money. He's not coming out of the bullpen this year, no matter what he does, getting a big contract that way. And he probably is going to want to start again. So it's a moot point. Whatever he does this year is, is going to translate into him having to reprove himself next year. But that's what's best for the Mets. So I'm not going to do any hot takes here on Harvey and about all that nonsense. The most important part of what has happened this week was that Callaway addressed this quickly, swiftly. Callaway Island and the organization, and it was about the team and about winning, and it wasn't about getting Matt Harvey right or about making excuses for Matt Harvey. He's bad, and he's not a good pitcher anymore. And it's not about the weather. It's not about not getting warmed up. It's not about the final three innings. 
you can't walk away from from getting your brains beat in in a game your team lost 12 to 4 and say, well, there were positives. There are none. That's a loser talk. And that's permeated this organization under the Collins regime for a long time, and it has to stop. And it looks like it's stopping. And the first step is accountability. Now, this is a team that, let's face it, has gotten off to a good start. They're 14 and 6 has had some fun wins, and is starting to build what could be a fun season. It is not a team that is without warts. The catchers haven't hit. The starting rotation outside of the Grom hasn't really been great. The bullpen, which has been good and been valuable, walks way too many hitters, and you saw that as a big reason why they blew two ugly games, one on Monday against Washington, which was probably – the wor- one of the worst losses they've had in a long time. It's probably it's like that San Diego loss in July of 2015. It's like that. It has stuff that happened earlier in the year, and it happened against the Nationals, which is, which is even worse. The one yesterday, uh, the blowing the three nothing eighth inning lead, you know, was bad too. But nothing like the one on Monday, and. Um, They're able to kind of wash that one away by coming back and beating the Nationals in that final game and then beating Atlanta and splitting the first two games. And look, I I don't think if they had not – if they had won yesterday, I think the Washington loss on Monday would be less of a thing. But this is a team that now is going to be tested. They're on the road, their first long road trip. They've had two bad losses. Uh, They have a little bit of a mini – I don't want to say controversy, but drama with the starting rotation. Luckily, they spent some money, and they got themselves a veteran like Jason Vargas. That's why they brought him in, who, let's face it, no matter what he does, league average. Let's say he's totally league average. That's better than what Matt Harvey's been giving you. Give me six innings, three runs, because I don't know if Matt Harvey could do that every week. But this is a test. How will this team respond? You want to go out there. This is now going to be a nine-game road trip. Originally, it was going to be ten. You'd love on a ten-game road trip to be six and four. A good team be six and four. Anything above that. You know, is I would say gravy. But now you're one and two. You've lost two straight series. Can you go out and you know you win four of your next six, and you finish, uh, you know, four of your next six with a couple of them. You know, it's five and four. It's five and four. You lose one in St. Louis. You lose one in San Diego, and uh, I'll take that. You know, that's a decent enough trip. Five and four. I'd sign up for that. And that's what you got to do throughout the year. Uh, if I had told you that this team has not gotten Ioannis Cespedes, Jay Bruce, and Michael Conforto going, that the catchers haven't hit, the bullpen walks nearly five batters per nine innings, and the starting rotation outside of J- Jacob deGrom hasn't really been all that impressive, you would have believed they're 14-6. and six? So that's the positive. Now, the negative is like, well, they're lucky to be 14-6. and six. And yeah, they're two, about two wins. Statistically, they're two wins better than what they should be based on their run differential. But they have depth. They have some interesting depth. Guys like Lagaris and Nimmo have embraced their roles. Uh, you know, they, they, they seem to be with the bullpen. You know, I just talked about them walking five per nine. You know, A.J. Ramos has been bad. But you know what? you got Lugo and Gazelman. And you know what? Don't sleep on Paul Sewald. Paul Sewald showed, and, and again, lower leverage situation when the team was behind and he came in and gave you three innings and, and, and looked really good, which helped save the bullpen. Put him in a, in a game where you're ahead in the eighth inning, and, he, and let's see him perform in that. But I've always liked Paul Sewald. I thought he was good, I, you know, a little bit more uh, of a righty on righty guy. But to me, 
you might want to start putting him in some higher leverage situations and see what you got there. You got a lot of interesting arms in that bullpen. So to me, the, the, the interesting part is that there's the first tests of 2018 for Mickey Galloway and this group. Let's see how they respond to a couple of bad losses going into next week on the road in one tough city, St. Louis, who's playing well. And another, you know, look, anytime you do a St. Louis, anytime you do Atlanta, St. Louis, San Diego, that kind of travel, that ain't exactly setting yourself up for success in terms of getting, you know, the right time zone change to be fresh and prepared. But that's baseball. That's what the grind of the season is. What is it, 162 games now, 187 days? It used to be 183 or 82, whatever it was, 187 days. You can have some weeks. We have a couple of days off. And, and you know what? The rainout today was fortuitous because now you get to rest familia. You get to go into St. Louis and have a little bit of a fresher team. You'll have Bruce, hopefully, and Frazier ready to go on Tuesday. So after you know an extra inning game and familia have to come in early yesterday, now you got a chance, chance to reboot. Looks like they're going to uh, just push everybody back, and then we'll see if Jason Vargas starts on Saturday what they're going to do there. So, But that's the theme, test. Let's see this team, which in the prior two years, outside of a few short weeks at the end of the 2016 season when they were playing mainly sub-500 teams, has never shown when it's been a tough stretch, when they face some adversity, anything more than a glass jaw. They've always crumbled. They've always made things worse. Let's see them go into St. Louis, take two out of three. Let's see them go into San Diego, take two out of three. If they don't, I'm not saying things are over, but it'll show me that there's still more work to be done. It'll show me they're not quite here. It'll show me that maybe they're not all that flushed from being the Terry Collins Mets. And I know that's what Mickey Galloway and Dave Allen are charged with, cleaning up the stench of, you know, two years, which I keep going back to were not good years. Even 2016 was not a good year. And it starts with holding the Dark Knight accountable and sending the Dark Knight to the bullpen, regardless of what he thinks or what his agent wants. And now goes out and showing that they can rebound from two really ugly losses, self-inflicted losses. That if you lose or lose the, lose out on a playoff spot or a division by a game, you're going to look back to those two losses at some point this year. I'll tell you that. Anyway, let's take a quick break. When I return, Matt Cerrone of Mets Blog, also author of a, a book that's been out for a little bit, the New York Mets fans bucket list. He'll be joining me. We'll get his thoughts on Matt Harvey. I'll, I'll throw in some of the things I just talked about about the early season, and uh, we'll get into what is the New York Mets fans' bucket list? What what are you getting as a consumer, as a reader, when you purchase the New York Mets fans' bucket list book? You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time over at our friends, uh, MetsMarizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. You can also get it on the iHeartMedia Network, iHeartRadio Network, with The Grueling Truth. We'll be back with Matt Serona Mets blog. We talk a little bit more Mets baseball right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. 
coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com, and get Metsmerized today. We're back and joining us, you guys know him, the lead writer over at SNY.TV's Mets blog, creator of that uh, great site. It's been a long time since I've had a chance to talk to him. He also has a book that came out last year, uh, The New York Mets Fans Bucket List, and uh, we'll chat a little bit about that. And uh, he's joining me now is uh, Matt Sero. Matt, uh, happy to have you on. Long time no talk. How you been? Uh, what's going on over there? <laughs> That's a lot. Um I'm doing good, Mike. It's good to talk to you. It's been way too long. Um, first off, awesome to hear the organ music. I always appreciate that. That's always like my favorite part of the show, <laughs> um, just because it reminds me of the old days at Shea and you know yeah. the good old days. So yeah, it's cool, and I dig it. Um, I'm doing good. I'm I'm okay. You know, it's uh, life is different. Uh, SNY has been making a lot of different changes. Uh, some good, some bad. That's up to them. But for me personally, it's you know, I, I write, I do my thing and it's been great from my perspective. Cause you know, what I love to do is write and think about the Mets and talk and watch and not think about digital strategy and all this kind of stuff. So like, it's really been fun for me to kind of get back to basics and just kind of watch the games and take notes and write about what I'm seeing and thinking and feeling. And it's been fun. So, I mean, it's so far this year has been terrific. I've been enjoying it. Plus the Mets are winning and that, that kind of helps too. And that's a great point because sometimes when you get into this world and you you've done it, uh, you know that was your, that's been your career, and you get into the business side and you forget what gets you into this in the first place, which is your passion for baseball and and the love yeah. of the Mets, and and I think you you forget about that, and and I think before we get to this team, and there is actually you know for the first time you know you're you're joining me on a week where maybe there's a I don't want to say controversy, yeah. but there's some some drama. You wrote a book, uh, The Mets Fans Bucket List, and uh, it's interesting because David Wright wrote the forward, which is a pr- probably a pretty cool experience because you, your blog yeah, started awesome. when Wright was still in the minor leagues. And uh, it's something, it's a different way to look at being a fan where, you know, what are the experiences that are out there to enjoy your Mets fandom outside of just going to games and watching the games and, you know, bantering and interacting on social media and what have you. Right. Well, that's, you know, it's funny, they, not, not to toot my own horn, but I mean, I, I've been approached, you know, over the years, I mean, it's, I started Mets like 15 years ago, so I've been approached by a lot of different people to do books, and they just never felt right, because like, that's not really where my background is, I'm not, you know, I don't consider myself that kind of a writer, and it's just, I mean, that's for other people, that's not, you know, and I, and I don't like to get involved in things that I'm not good at, like, I just feel like, let them do their thing, I'll do mine. And when this book came to me through my uh, literary agent and a publisher, I think they were expecting more of a beat writer's factual approach. And to me, it was an opportunity to kind of talk about, because obviously there's the games, there's the scores, there's the history even that you could find in a history book. But there's a, there's a whole other level of experience, of, and, and you know this tenfold, of being a Mets fan that is almost has nothing to do with what happens on field. It's, you know, it's the camaraderie. 
It's the drama. It's the LOL meth stuff. It's all kinds of things. Um, the food, you know, just everything that we share in common. And so like, to me, it was like, oh, this is an opportunity to write about those things in small bursts, little, you know, thousand word essays, which is obviously my DNA. And like, oh, this works. So like, I took it on and it was a ton of fun to sort of think about it that way. I don't think that's what the publisher was expecting. But and there was a little bit of friction actually while I was writing it because they were like, yeah, you don't have to be that, you know, uh, opinionated and that, you know, experiential. Like you can just kind of log in. I was like, yeah, I know, but that's, you know, that's what I enjoy about being a Mets fan or like all these pieces and parts and things that go along with being, you know, of what it is to be a, a fan. So like this was a perfect opportunity to do that. And I think the book captures it really well. So while it's laid out in this sort of, you know, bucket list things you need to do, I think mostly it's a lot of stuff most fans have done. It's just an opportunity to sort of hear from other fans and, and sort of see how your experiences are the same. And I feel like it connects those, that fabric a little bit. And it, it was fun. It was fun for me just as someone who, you know, I live in Connecticut. I'm surrounded by Yankee fans and Red Sox fans. And I don't have a ton of Mets fan friends. And so to kind of go through all those experiences and then hear from people, um, you know, that there's a similarity was really fun for me as well. Did you have a chance as you're writing this to, you know, come up maybe with uh, experiences or things that you didn't even think about that you went in and said, okay, you know, that's interesting. Let me look into that and edit it maybe to the book where, you know, maybe it was something you weren't thinking about going in and, and it was something that, you know, turned out to be, I guess, a pretty cool portion of, of the project. Yeah, I think something as simple as run the bases at Shea, or run the ba- I should say Shea, run the bases at City Field, which is, you know, it's, I've never done that. And I'm not a little kid, so I can't do that. But, you know, parents take their kids to do that. And I've been on the field and I've done it with press credentials. And that's one experience. But to do it, you know, as a parent with your child, who is just, you know, they don't, they don't understand, you know, to them, they're just running the bases with Mr. Met. And that's awesome. But for you as a parent, that's pretty awesome. Like, that's pretty cool to be standing there and looking around and you don't get to be on the field every day and to, to, you know, take all that in and see your kid having this experience. And I'm pretty sure you would love to have when you were young or even now for that matter. Um, sure. You know, that's something I had never done, you know? And so like it came up on a list and some people I'd asked, you know, obviously it's social media era. So like you go to do a project like this and you put it out to the public of like, Hey, what are, you know, some of the things that blah, blah, blah. And like, a lot of people referenced uh, the 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 the, uh, the dash around the bases, and I, I you know I didn't again know nothing about that. So like I interviewed some people, and I went and waited in line with some folks while they were doing it. And the line is enormous, by the way, which is awesome. And you know you just it's just really cool to watch the smiles on these people's faces. And again, it has zero to do with the score. You know, it had nothing to do with those families and those kids were going to have fun that day, whether the Mets won or lost. And, you know, that's, that's to me what is so special about the experience of baseball, that obviously there's the score and there's the standings and all that stuff matters in its context. But then there's this other that's like, you know, just a nice Sunday afternoon with your family that you get to go do some fun stuff. And, you know, that can't get lost in the drama of the regular season and all the chaos like there is something to be said for, and you're, 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 you know, your your family dying. You understand, like there's something to be said about extending that to your kids and just sort of seeing the smiles on their face. So like something like that to put that in the book 
to me was a little bit different than like you might find in most Mets books, which are, I think, no disrespect to them, but a little bit more factual and a little bit more statistical and historical. And this to me was just more about an experience of what it, you know, all the experiences that come together to make up being a Mets fan. Yeah. And what's funny is that as you talk about that, I think about growing up and watching baseball and, and now I think, and you see it, you know, having really pioneered the whole social media thing with Mets blog. I think even young kids now, 12, 13, 14, are, are enjoying sports through playing GM or playing, you know, salary sure. capologist. And it's so different now because, you know, you don't know who's behind that screen. But you could tell some of the people who are, who are commenting or, or, or having dialogue, you know, they're smart, but they're really young. They're like high school age. And, and I think yeah. about how when I was in high school watching sports, you know, maybe this is not for the better. Uh, I was just about, you know, the team, the game, and, and these larger-than-life teams, whether it be the Mets, the Knicks, whatever, you know, I, w- I was into. And uh, and now this is almost like, uh, and maybe I mean, it's just fantasy baseball, Stratomatic, whatever it is, which is fine because I'm into that stuff too, but it almost takes away, I think, uh, some of that innocence. And, and, and what you just brought up is, is really what it's all about, is enjoying the team, the game, having that – connection where the team is almost like this pseudo family, you know, 162 out of 183 nights a year. I think that's right. And only way to be, I think that's the key. So, you know, the, the people that are very much into statistics and sabermetrics and evidence-based kind of, you know, viewing that stuff is awesome too. And it's just, I think that's what is so, at least to me, what's so great about baseball is I think there's a lot of different ways to watch and experience it. And I don't think it's exclusive to any one thing either. Like you could do all of them and spread it around. So like, I, I think about my dad who passed away a couple of years ago and like, he, he, he's so funny. He was a Knicks fan, a Jets fan and a Mets fan. And he hated Piazza. He hated Vinny, Vinny Testaverde and he hated Ewing. <laughs> and I always used to joke him about it. Cause I'm like, geez, man, like, you know, you're not even giving yourself a chance. Like, what are you doing? But he, I think I realized watching him watch sports that like what he wanted was just the ability to yell at the TV and yell at these guys that were expected to do, you know, so much. And like, I don't know, I don't want to get into deep psychosis here, but like maybe he expected more of himself. And like, this was an opportunity to let that out. I don't know. The point is that's how he sports was to be mad at at the, you know, um, the favorite, so to speak. And if you start throwing in, well, his, his batting average on balls in play is this, and, you know, his wins above replacement, blah, blah, blah. Like it, it takes away from his need, which was just to be emotional and yell and scream and be that way. So like the, the point I'm making is like, there's all these different ways to experience sports. I think baseball in particular, just because it's every day that, you know, it just, I don't think that should be robbed of anybody. Like it's okay if you want to just be the emotional fan and scream and have like crazy opinions that are completely not based in anything other than you think it fine. Um, I've talked to beat reporters who have been on the job for decades who tell me, well, fans aren't, you know, fans can't have opinions because they don't know the facts and blah, blah, blah. It's like, who cares, man? It's entertainment. If they're tuning in and they're having fun, what is the difference? Like we all get out of this, what we want to get out of it. And so, again, to bring it back to the book, which people could check out if they're interested, it's MatthewStrone.com slash Messbook. You know, it's all these little things that don't really have anything to do with, I mean, some of them do, but most of the things in the, in the book, most of the stuff on the list 
are things that you just experience and how you experience them as an individual is up to you, but it's all stuff we've done collectively as a fan base that kind of ties us together. And it's like a brotherhood or a sisterhood or a fraternity, whatever you want to call it, that we've been through all this stuff. And like, you don't even have to say anything like just, you know, you look and you know that oh, I, I was there too, you know, and, and that's it. That's all you need to bond. And there's something special in that. Um, David Wright wrote the forward. And I think Matt, you and I being honest here know that, you know, the end is here. Uh, you know, you oh, hope yeah. for the best, you expect the worst. And I think sooner rather than later, much sooner rather than later, David Wright's going to announce his retirement, which is sad because the career is, is clearly truncated. And ironically, probably since 2009, David Wright hasn't been the same player. That's a long time. Um, you know, having him write the forward for your book, knowing that the arc of Mets blog coincided with David's, Mm -hmm. uh, ascension here in the city, uh, you know, talk a little bit about David, you know, and, and maybe what your thoughts are about that whole situation. Um, I'll I'll answer this in two parts. One, I'll, I'll answer the book part and then I'll, I'll talk about the actual David Wright baseball player on field part. As far as the book goes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was one of the first, it wasn't the first interview I did. That was Pelfrey. Um, but the, I think David was the first, uh, phone interview I did. He was still in double a at the time. And, you know, I, I had a chance to, you know, meet with him on a few occasions, had dinner a couple of times, like one by accident, um, just happened to be at a Japanese, uh, like a stir fry place and just got seated at the same, uh, hibachi table, which was pretty awesome. Coincidentally, um, you know, and just got to hang out and chit chat. Um, and so all that stuff is great. And, you know, so to be able to kind of go back to him and, and uh, over the years and see him at Shea and see him at City and see him in spring training and just kind of swap, you know, pleasantries and then talk family and, and those sorts of things, um, you develop a relationship. And, you know, when this when it came time to do the, the forward to the book, to me, there was no better person to capture that because, you know, uh, in his experience, he's lived, quite honestly, a lot of the things that are in the book. Um, which is interesting. And we talked a little bit about that. Um, you know, we had about a good 20, almost half hour uh, interview to kind of pick apart and do to kind of construct the forward. And that interview in and of itself probably could be its own book. I mean, it was just enlightening and, and wonderful to kind of hear all the different stories that he talked about. Um, and so I was really grateful that he, he took the time to do that. And I think for him, it was an opportunity to speak directly to, you know, Mets fans through a Mets fan medium, people that are buying the Mets book, this book are Mets fans. Like they're not, it's not going to be, you know, on a blog somewhere that might get linked somewhere else and and get in contact with people that maybe don't appreciate it. Like if you're buying the book, you're a Mets fan. So, or if you're reading the book, you're a Mets fan. So like, I think that was, he appreciated that. And he's an old school kind of guy. He's not on social media. Um, You know, I think he respects the, the book format. So um, that wasn't a tough sell. Like it was an immediate yes. And then to have him actually do it and then talk about sort of these experiences and things that sort of connect him to the fan base and and basically say thank you uh, to Mets fans for giving him, you know, everything he has in his life really um, was really special. And to be able to to facilitate that um, really means a lot to me. Like that really was, I'm, I'm happy that I could do that for him and, you know, have it be in print and, and linked to my name. That's awesome. But, you know, just to be able to do that, I thought was really cool. Um, 
as far as him as a player, yeah. It, you know, look, it is what it is. I don't think it's a surprise to anybody. I mean, I have back pain. I can't even imagine. Like, I have stenosis on my back. I can't even imagine what what he's dealing with. Now, I don't have access to world-class, uh, you know, type chiropractors and physical therapists and all these things. But, um, you know, you could see it. I was out in spring training, and, and, and I love the kid. But, you know, you're watching him stretch, and you could see it on his face. It's just it's hard to, to get up from the – you know, the stretches and do, do what he's doing. I mean, I think in a perfect world, my understanding, he would love to be able to get back on field towards the end of this year, even if it was just symbolic, um, you know, be on the bench in a pennant race and just help the team as a pseudo coach kind of, you know, pinch hitter, if he could muster the energy, um, that would be awesome. I, I think, you know, for some reason they're not in the pennant race and, and things go sour. Um, you know, maybe he comes back in September and he plays his, you know, he, he plays where he can and he can sort of, you know, walk off the field with a wave. Um, you know, I think to me, that's the, the short-term realistic goal. If for some reason, there's some amazing advancement in science and he can do more than that. Great. But you can just see it. You can see it on his face and you can see it in the piece that he has when he talks about it. He talks about where he's at in his career right now in sort of a way that's like, I get it. And this is, you know, I'm doing what I have to do because my kid is little and I can do these things. My guess is if his daughter was seven or eight, you know, he'd have retired by now to be home and, and do these things. But she, you know, she's little and Molly's pregnant and, you know, they're going to have another baby and they're little. And so you can get by and, and bounce between St. Lucie and L.A. and do all these things and just keep playing it out. But I think once once it becomes time where it's known or, or he's needed somewhere else, I think it's I think it'll be over for him. Yeah, that's that's a very fair uh, way of looking at it. Matt Cerrone, Mets blog, uh, author of the book, uh, The New York Mets Fans Bucket List. You can check it out on uh, Amazon or you can go to MatthewCerrone.com, uh, as Matt said. Joining me here, uh, let's get to this year's team. So, yeah, you know, Matt, it'd be interesting. Uh, normally I would say, hey, Matt Harvey, and, and here I am being a hypocrite. You make a podcast about a lot of the Matt Harvey <laughs> stuff and, and – and say, you know, it's not a big deal. Because really, at the end of the day, coming into this season, I wasn't interested in Matt Harvey becoming Matt Harvey of old. If he was going to contribute, great. If not, I felt there was enough arms where what Matt Harvey is now could be easily replicated. And I never expected the Matt Harvey of 2013, 2015 to come back. Uh, with that said, um, you know, this is important for the uh, coaching staff because I think it's, uh, you know, here's a guy that's that's, you know, rock the boat a lot. He's a guy that at times maybe has made it more about himself than the team. Uh, you know, this is a team that many felt didn't have discipline and accountability a year ago. So this is the first test for Mickey Calloway, Dave Island. I think they've handled it well so far. It will be interesting how compliant Matt Harvey is and how he takes this. You know, this is a hard-headed guy. Um, you know, it, I'm very interested to see how he pitches out of the bullpen and if he has any kind of success, how he embraces that, uh, or is he going to find every opportunity to pine and politic for his spot in the rotation uh, again? It's be very interesting what happens and what transpires over the next couple of weeks or so. Yeah, I, I love this story. I mean, it's, to me, as fascinating as the Mets in general. Uh, it's just because, you know, we can all – it's he had it – you know, you go back, you go back to that moment when he was on the mound at the all-star game. And I mean, it was, it, baseball was at his beck and call. 
Like they were eating out of the palm of his hand. Mets fans were, we couldn't, we, we were giddy. And it just, it was almost, and I hate to say this, too good to be true. And sure enough, it was. And, you know, it, when you go back to that moment, you think about what must have been going on through his head, knowing based on not what we think or fan fiction, but just what he has said in print and in interviews, which is, you know, he aspires to be or aspired to be, I should say, the Derek Jeter of, you know, this era, the of pitching, so to speak. And, you know, he wanted to be the dominant, greatest everything uh, in baseball. And he had, it was right there. Like he was on the mound, literally like on top of the heap and in New York city. And when you think about where it's gone since that point, it's really remarkable. I mean, 15, 2015 was terrific. You know, he had a really good year. He was one of the best pitchers in baseball. People don't, I think, forget that. But, and I think we also forget that it's possible when all is said and done, that the fact that he pushed himself to pitch beyond, you know, what the doctors recommended and what his agent was recommending, you know, maybe that was part of, of part of the issue. I don't know that for fact. I personally don't think that's the case, but who knows? Maybe it proves out to be that. But he, he put himself out there and he, he did what he had to do. You know, he pitched through the postseason. Um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a tragedy in, in some respects, you know, from a baseball perspective. I mean, obviously there's worse things in life than uh, making a few, you know, making six figures as a, as a pitcher doing anything. But from a baseball perspective, it's a tragedy. And it doesn't mean it's over, though. That's the thing. Like, there are, you know, he's still there's still a lot left to the Matt Harvey story. And I think that's what's interesting to me. And he's got two guys that are probably in contrast to his agent. Cause I'm sure Scott Boris is livid about the fact that Harvey's going to the bullpen. Um, although if he's being honest, he understands why, but I'm sure he's livid about it. And you've got Callaway and Island who've been pitchers. You know, they were starters in their careers, not very successful, went to the bullpen. They've coached a lot of people. Island can cite Wade Davis, you know, Callaway has been through, you know, he's been in contact and, and coached a lot of successful pitchers. Like they have experiences to lean on and they can look Matt in the eye and they've gained his trust through this spring and say, listen, man, you know, this isn't working. And, and if he looks in the mirror, Matt knows it too, but you've got an opportunity here to, with us to, you know, maybe make this thing something else and write a different story and be successful in a different way. And I'm hoping, and we don't know this yet, because Harvey's only kind of been glib with the reporters and hasn't really dug into what this means to him, because he may not even know. But I mean, there's a, there's a good shot. I mean, who knows? Maybe short stints work well with his arm, or maybe he gets into the mindset of being this sort of dominant back-end reliever, and he gets into the, you know, the closer spot and the music and the whole bit and saving the game and, you know, hey. Batman saved cities, so maybe it's into that you know that that mindset for him. Who knows? But like maybe he gets into it, and all of a sudden he's you know that's where his career goes, and he's successful with it. You never know. And like I think this coaching staff, these two guys, have done enough with him so far, and they built enough trust that I think they can at least give it a chance to work. If this was a year ago, there is no way Dan Wharton and Terry Collins are getting through to Matt Harvey in the way that these two guys at least have the ability to do. I think Harvey is a lost shot or he's still in the rotation, quite frankly, because I don't think they would have, pardon the, you know, the expression, I don't think they'd have the balls to make the move that 
Catalan Island did. And, you know, it would be, it would be what it was. But I think with these two guys, I think they have a shot. And I think the three of them together can figure it out. I really, really do. And this isn't just my, I mean, it's my hope. I hope it does, but I, I really think just watching them in action in spring, tra- spring training and watching them during the season, like I think they have the relationship that they might be able to make this work. And I, I really hope it does because, you know, the kid wants the best for himself and he wants to win. And, you know, I hate to see him just drift away and be another, you know, Mike Peltry kind of story, uh, you know, that kind of thing. That is probably, um, you know, the, the, the nicest take on Matt Harvey for someone, you know, who's, you know, connected with the Mets in terms of a fan blog reporter, whatever, you know, the fans, here's what's interesting, Matt, cause you have a pulse on the fans here. I don't think they've ever really liked Matt Harvey going even back to the body issue. What, of course. 13. Of course. He's of always course, been of course, the Yankee stuff. Yeah. The Yankee stuff bothered them, but Matt Harvey wasn't the type of star that Mets fans like. He was too page six. Mets fans want page six on a sure. field. They don't want page six. It bothers mm-hmm. them. And that's why you know, even Syndergaard, I wonder where that goes. Um, mm-hmm. That's too. why I think Jacob deGrom, who, who's the most unheralded out of all these pitchers throughout the whole time, even, you know, he was behind Rafael Montero, who nobody wants to see on a field now. Um, Jacob deGrom might be the best out of all of them. And that's what's interesting. Mets fans have never really, I think, loved Matt Harvey. And I think if you polled them or asked them if the team could be okay and he never makes it back, they would prefer that if I had to take it. I mean, it's a total unscientific and formal poll, but my gut tells me that's what a lot of them feel and think. I think you're right. I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you. I think, I think you're right about that. Look, if, if Matt Harvey could be um, super successful as a, as, a, as a back-end reliever and the Mets need that player in the postseason so that they can win a World Series and Harvey can do that, he'll be a legend. But, you know, aside from that unique exp- – or, or vice versa, he returns to being a, a starter and he becomes an ace again and he can be cocky and page six all he wants, but if he's dominant – and helps them win a World Series, I think Mets fans are forgiving as well. But anything in between, I think you're right. A hundred percent, I think you're right. And the reality is it will be somewhere in between. So if we're talking in between, I'm with you a hundred percent. DeGrom, that kind of pitcher, you know, uh, you know, the, the grind, hustler, make adjustments, do what he has to do to get by, that is the Mets fan. So anytime there's a player that can connect that sensibility they're going to be a hit they're going to be the guy that we root for daniel murphy um you know you can name a million different players when they're that player the overachiever the guy that you don't expect a ton from and then they do a ton because they're putting in the work and putting in the effort and doing the extra you know and they're grinding it out and they're passionate about it like that's how we see ourselves as mets fans so like and i talk about that in the book actually not to go back to it but like that is a big part of our DNA. I think that's what makes, I think it's, it's funny. One of the chapters in the books is why comedians are Mets fans. Like I think that's part of the reason why, like there's something about that, that element as a person experiences Mets fans. Like that's what we want. So like we love Wally Backman and we love Melanie Dykstra's and you know, that that's, that's part of what we are. Right. So like page six, I want to be Derek Jeter with the fancy suit or naked in ESPN or whatever. It's like, that doesn't necessarily go along with our sensibilities. Now you want to win a world series. Terrific. But if you're not, then 
there's this other piece. And I think you're 100% correct. DeGrom meets that to a T. And, you know, I think that's a big part of why he's so popular. You know, it's DeGrom goes out there. I feel like, you know, because I write about it all the time. And, like, I feel like every time I go to write about Jacob DeGrom, I'm writing about how he was really awesome without his best stuff. And, like, that's it. That's it. That's the point, right? That's being an overachiever. You're figuring it out. You're doing what you got to do to get by. And like, that's what we, I think, you know, the average demographic of a Mets fan probably does the same thing every day with their life. So like to see a player go out there and do that, you know, we appreciate it. And like, that's, I, I completely agree with you. Like to me, that, it's not even that why DeGrom's the ace. Like I just think, because I think that is why he's the ace of the staff. And Syndergaard, I think we, we I, I'm with you on that too. Like I wonder, like he gets by with such natural talent, but when Syndergaard doesn't have his best stuff, it's a good game, but he's not going to muscle his way through, you know, one run, eight innings. And DeGrom might be able to do that. And I think that is the difference. Yeah, and, and as we wrap up here, well, a couple of other quick things. Um, I think this team has an opportunity, though, because they have uh, some of the grit type of players, the Frasers, the, you know, the Jay Bruce, uh, yep, Brandon yep. Nimmo, who, you know, ever since that, you know, he, he talked to the fans at the Queens Baseball Convention, I believe you were there. Uh, the fans love him. Um, you know, you got Gazelman and, and, and Lugo and Seawald, and I could go on and on. I, I think they have an opportunity. And here's the thing. They're 14, you know, rain out today, 14 and, and 6. Uh, the catchers haven't hit. Uh, Cespedes hasn't hit. Conforto not even really here. hasn't hit. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I mean, you know, Bruce uh, is not hitting. The bullpen's walking way too many guys. And you could even yep. say outside of the Grom, uh, the starting pitchers haven't been all that great even Syndergaard, and they're 14 and six. So maybe I'm being Pollyannish um, or, you know, I could take the, t- you know, and, and say, Hey, you know, th- they'll be all right. Cause those things will go into place. And the nature of Mets fans is to say, no, they won't. They're not going to, but uh, things sh- should be a lot worse based on all those things I just listed. And to be 14 and six in the midst of a pretty tough road trip, going to St. Louis, going to San Diego. Uh, I think there's a test coming up for them this uh, upcoming week. Uh, be curious to see how they respond. And so far, they've responded well. And I think they've responded better, and I expect them to respond better than the teams of the last couple of years, uh, you know, after 2015, which have not responded well in these kind of situations. Right. Well, a couple things on that. So, one, they're not going to, I mean, I don't think this is a team that's going to be 8, 10, 15 games over 500 to the rest of the year. So, and I do think, I do agree with you that this particular stretch here is important because it's an odd travel schedule. Um, the fact that they go from Atlanta to St. Louis, St. Louis to San Diego, back to New York um, is weird. It's not common. So I'm interested to see how that all shakes out. But the thing is because of the big start they had, even if they go 500 or even a little bit under, they'll still come back home, you know, six, seven, eight games over 500. So they've built in a cushion here where they can play around a little bit and, you know, do some things where, you know, they can get by, they can make that slip up and still be able to sustain the kind of success that I think, you know, you you sort of expected two weeks ago, um, which is great. You know, I mean, you go back to 2015, it was the same thing. They had that really hot start, the 11 game winning streak, June and July were terrible. I mean, I know you remember that, like it was awful, but yet, Yep. They got Cespedes. They were able to turn. And next thing you know, you get hot and boom, there you are in the world series. So like, 
as long as you have that cushion, which they have, it gives them some room to make mistakes and, and, and play around with some stuff, which is good. I'm glad that they have that because, as we know, as Mets fans, they're going to need it. Something's going to um, – as far as the roster goes and what guys are doing, I, I agree. And what's funny is that I talked to a lot of – I spent a lot of time this winter talking to different front office people from around the league. I tried to talk more this past offseason with people that are not with the Mets that are with, even in the America, just different, just different front offices, people that I've known through the years that have kind of moved up in the rankings. And, you know, the thing I kept coming back to wasn't so much about the top of the roster. It's the bottom of the roster. That's always what they talked about. They always talked about how the most important thing is to build up your bottom so that, you know, you can sustain and you can kind of lean on because there's going to be slumps. There's going to be odd moments, but if you've got sort of the, the upper depth, you can make those maneuvers and you can kind of get by. And I feel like the Mets do have that. Um, you know, there's key things like, can you win games late? Can you protect the lead? Can your pitchers go, you know, do you have at least a few pitchers that can go five, six? Can you do this? Can you do that? And like, they kind of meet the criteria of all of those different things. And so that to me, just based on the way other teams in the league build their rosters, like the Mets kind of meet all that stuff. They're not the best, but they're good enough. And knowing that they have this cushion, to me, feels like, you know what, they don't have to, you know, not everybody has to hit 300. Like, and I think that's good, finally. Like, they've got some guys that can kind of just grind it through, and if this part of the team's doing well and this part isn't, they'll be okay, and vice versa. And if they could ever get it all together, they'll rip off eight or nine in a row like they did. And I, I think when it all said and done, come September, which is really what matters, they'll you know, I, I, I do think it'll be them in the nationals and it'll be a foot race and it'll be fun. And I think they'll be there. Um, you know, I don't, uh, I think they're set up well, I guess is what I'm saying, even though they're not all overperforming because all it takes is like, they'll make an acquisition, they'll make a trade, they'll add some guys to the roster, something will happen. And I just think when the dust settles in August, September, it's going to be ripe. They'll, they'll be in a good spot and I'm looking forward to it. Last thing, if you had to put on your bucket list, Keith Hernandez on Twitter, you just got your <laughs> wish. Um, probably yeah, really. the news, probably the story of uh, the early season. Who would have thunk it? The curmudgeonly announcer, uh, the Phil Rizzuto of the Mets, I call him sometimes, on Twitter. Yeah. He's killing it. So uh, let's end on that note. Let's end that. <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't bring that up it with doesn't, you while you It you're doesn't on. surprise me completely. I mean, listen, Keith <laughs> – Nobody loves Keith more than Keith. <laughs> so like, if, if there was an opportunity, if somebody made the connection for him technologically, that like, oh, you could do this and talk about yourself and people are going to respond and tell you how much they like it, like he's going to sign up because he, he loves it. He loves all that stuff. And he's a silly guy. And like, I'm, I'm surprised it took this long. I never thought it would happen. <laughs> I actually never thought it would be, you know, take place. But the fact that somebody got through to him and was able to make this happen, it's awesome. And I'm happy for him because he's enjoying the hell out of it. MatthewSarone.com, uh, obviously Mets blog. Anything you want the listeners to know about, events, things you're doing? I believe you're doing something in Connecticut in May uh, with Bobby V, right? So why don't you uh, give the listeners a little uh, feel of what they could expect from you over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, there's uh, an event. If you're in Connecticut, um, there's in Bridgeport, Connecticut in mid-May, May 14th, there's an event for the Bridgeport, uh, it's called Little League, uh, Field of Dreams kind of thing where they're doing a speaking event. Um, if you go to my Twitter account at Matthew Sroan, you'll, you'll see the link there or Instagram at Matthew Sroan. Also, you can find the link. 
on my profile uh, if you want to get tickets. It's a cool cause. It's they, they basically it's you know like Harlem RBI, but it's for uh, in Connecticut where they help donate money and build fields for inner city baseball fields and things like that. Um, so it's me and Bobby V and Hussler and John Harper, uh, just kind of shooting the shit about the Mets and talking about whatever and taking questions from fans. And, uh, it's a good time. Anytime, you, you know, I mean, I'm, I would hope you come to see me, but anytime you can go and see Bobby V talk, I encourage it because he's great. That's for sure. Matt, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you. Uh, I know Sunday family day, um, let's catch up again. Always enjoy uh, reading your tweets, reading your work, and, and catching up with you, and you've always been good to me. So thank you again, and be well, and let's talk soon. All righty? All good, Mike, and uh, keep in touch. Hope all's well. All right. Matt Cerrone. Thank you, Matt. Matt Cerrone, Mets blog. Uh, obviously, you guys know the Twitter handle, at Matthew Cerrone on uh, Twitter. Um and good stuff. So let's take a quick break. When we return, I'm going to wrap up, give final thoughts, a couple of funny things uh, out of that uh, good segment with Matt. I thought we had a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be back with final thoughts here on the Talking Mets podcast right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com, and get Metsmerized today. Final thoughts here on this uh, Sunday, the 22nd. Uh, rain out. Mets and Braves uh, washed away down in Atlanta. Mets get a day off tomorrow. Head to St. Louis, San Diego. And like I said, it's a big test. It'll, you know, it'll be interesting. Really fun segment with Matt Saron. I thought he had some real interesting things to say about Matt Harvey. Uh, obviously, David Wright and, and his career. I thought Matt was about as fair with both those guys as you can without the venom that you normally get. More so with, obviously, Harvey. But uh, a couple of quick interesting stories on the way out. First, 100% agree with Matt on the depth situation. One of the reasons why the Omar Manaya Mets in 6, 7, and 8, 06, 07, 08, failed a lot, as I felt that as you got down the roster, the Mets were so top-heavy. And a lot of this had to maybe do with investment and finances, but so top-heavy with the stars in the you know 8 to 10 parts, you know 1 through 10 parts of the roster, that 11 through 25 – especially as they did their pitching depth and their bullpen in the back end. Uh, you know, with their injuries, they really had nobody to step in, whether it's Billy Wagner going down, um, you know, not having the, the pitching depth to withstand injuries to the rotation in 2007. You know, that's where I think the Jason Vargas move is the exact opposite of what they did back in 2007 when they didn't bring any veteran pitchers in of quality, of major league quality. And they suffered for it down the stretch. You know, if they didn't have Vargas, now you'd be scratching your head saying, okay, what, what are the Mets going to do now? You know, what's, you know, is Corey Oswald the answer? Are they going to put Gazelman back in? 
you're upsetting the apple cart. So I think that's a great point, as Matt Matt mentioned. There may be positives in that this team has a little bit more depth. Now, as far as Keith Hernandez, real quick, funny story. Keith is uh, a character. He's one of those, and I always say he's the Phil Rizzuto of the Mets, because I really believe he is, that he's turned into this post-career, curmudgeonly funny icon where you, you tune into the games. Like Yankee fans used to want to hear what Phil had to say. And oh, it's Phil leaving early, and he used to track his car going back home after the seventh inning from the uh, the Goodyear blimp above. But Keith is becoming like that, and his Twitter account is just hysterical. I mean, between his cat, you know, he's giving really interesting baseball analysis. He has some interesting stories that he shared. Hopefully, he continues. I know he has a book coming out in May, and we'll try to see if we. I don't know if we can get Keith on the program. We will try, but. You know, maybe we could get the author uh, and talk a little bit about that project. I really am looking forward to that. But um, you know, interestingly enough, I, I, I've run into Keith a couple of times, and the most recent is just total Keith Hernandez story. Get in the elevator going up because the press goes up in the same elevator uh, to where like the, what the old Caesars Club was. There's that elevator you get into, and I wasn't covering a game by any stretch of the imagination, or was I? Yes, I was covering. I think it was Mike Piazza's. Uh, when he was inducted, in, I was covering a game. It was Mike Piazza's Hall of Fame ceremony in 2013. And I was with our buddy, Steve Keene of the Crane Pool Society. We both get in the elevator. It keeps going up in the same elevator with the fans that would go up to that, that where the press box is, which is essentially – I don't think it's the Caesars Club anymore. I don't know who's sponsoring it anymore. I can't remember. But that's where the press box is. So where the fans are, that whole area where you could go inside and eat and have – drinks and food that's where the press box is so you intermingle you could you know if you just knew the little crevices you'd go right into the broadcast booth the media room right over there and keith gets on the elevator in this jam-packed elevator and he's got to go up because he's hustling from the field because he was down there on the field for the piazza uh, uh, hall of fame ceremony not the number retirement the hall of fame ceremony and you could see he's like oh my god i'm in this elevator and he squeezed with me in the back uh and you could tell he just can't wait to get out of there right and the elevator operator stops at every floor to jam more people in, not minding the fact that, A, he's got to get to announce a ball game up there. B, he's already uncomfortable that he's jammed into the back of the elevator, and he's next to me, and he gives me that look like, could you believe this? And it was so Keith Hernandez because I looked at him, and I said, yeah. I, I kind of felt the same way. I was like, I just want to get out of this elevator. But uh, you could see it was that, that you know whole antisocial – he's got like a combination of charm and that Larry David-ness. You know, if you watch Curb Your Enthusiast, Keith's got a little bit of that. So that's my Keith Hernandez story. And uh, if you follow him on Twitter and if you follow the Mets on this broadcast, he is, as Matt said, who, who he really is on that broadcast. Maybe a little bit artistic license with that, a little bit of, of showmanship, but he is who, who, who he, 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 he portrays himself to be. So looking forward to more um, Keith Hernandez uh, Twitter. As the season goes on. Hey, we're out of time. Uh, of course, I want to thank our friend Matt Cerrone. Of course, check out Matt's book, uh, The New York Mets Fans Bucket List, as well as Matt on Twitter at Matthew Cerrone and MatthewCerrone.com. Of course, I want to thank the good folks at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and whatever podcasting service you desire. Check me out on the iHeartRadio Network uh, as part of the Grueling Truth. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and I'll see you next week. Take care.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.